I do uh, greatly appreciate the very heartfelt prayer, public prayer, and I do ask that you continue to pray for me this afternoon. Uh, I'm well aware of the uh, trials and tribulations of uh, sitting here through an afternoon service because uh, I didn't do myself any favors. Uh, and you ladies, I love, thank you so much for what you made, you uh, cooked and put forth, but you didn't do me any favors today, I can tell you. I, that was such a temptation, I couldn't turn most of it down, and uh, it was so good. Let me just say before we get into the message, what a blessing it has been. I, I'm so sad that this is the last time that I'll be with you this weekend, but, uh, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get to be here and uh, to get to spend the time with your, your dear pastor, with all of you that have come from other churches and uh, been able to have sweet times of fellowship. It's, it's been a truly uh, mountaintop experience Amen. spiritually for me in my ministry. And, uh, and you, you'll, you'll send me away encouraged, uh, regardless of whether the Lord blesses in this message or not, but I'll, I'll leave here encouraged in my ministry from having been able to be up here. You pray for us back at Zion Church and in West Alabama. We're, we're blessed in that area with several ministers and several churches that we're in close fellowship with. But we need your prayers. We need, we need the uh, prayers that the Lord would bless, that the gospel would have free course in our people. That, because I'll tell you, there's nothing that God's people need more than the true gospel message. The message of salvation by grace alone. And uh, so uh, pray for me as we get into the service this afternoon. And I want you to turn with me over to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And I don't know, just pray that the Lord will have free course in this message. Uh, hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll take us in areas that will be helpful to us. Um, in my ministry... Uh, there at Zion Church, which has been, I've been the pastor there for about 11 years. Um, I have had times when I needed encouragement, many times, but times of a special encouragement. And to be quite honest with you, as I see things getting worse and worse around us, in the world around us, and I see our young people particularly facing more and more temptations and troubles, seemingly more than ever in my experience, at least in life, I get worried, I get concerned. I think about, uh, you know, almost the, the idea of crying out to the Lord, what in the world are we gonna do, Lord? And, uh, and so uh, my, my mind has been drawn out to this chapter here in Jeremiah, and let me just set the groundwork because, and I will try to be very mindful of the time because I know that we have had a good good meal and it's and it is an afternoon service but uh if you'll bear with me maybe we'll get some thoughts that will be helpful to us uh so let me set the stage here jeremiah uh is called the weeping prophet okay jeremiah um you know I, I feel sorry for our brother jeremiah his his ministry was different than um uh than say isaiah's or or late uh, which was before him or uh daniel and and some of the prophets that uh the, the, the ones that were taken captive even. You know, the, the children of Israel that were taken captive were uprooted from their homes and uprooted from their, their, uh, their way of worship and all that, but the place they were taken uh, was a place that, uh, where they didn't miss any of the, of, the, of, of the daily amenities. They didn't miss a daily meal. They were, they, Babylon was a great city. It was, a, it, it was uh, technologically advanced for the day. 
And uh, so they weren't carried off into the wilderness and dumped. They were carried into a city, into a place that at least, you know, three square meals daily. Uh, they could find jobs. You know, the, the Babylonians pretty much treated their captives pretty well, the ones that they took captive. Now, Jeremiah was left in the land of Israel. He was left over there where things had been, desol- uh, desolation had occurred. They, 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 had, they had been devastated in that area. And, uh, uh, but, but, Ultimately, you understand and we understand that the Babylonian captivity was God's judgment upon His people. It was extremely traumatic. It was extremely difficult. And it was really physically, materially, uh, in a material way, difficult for Jeremiah. Uh, and, and I don't want to get, I'm not going to preach about his whole experience, but I just want you to understand Jeremiah is, is one who was allowed by God, uh, suffer, uh, permitted, and in fact, ordered by God, if you will, to stay home. And to preach to those that were left, the one, the remnants that were just, you know, scattered everywhere. They didn't listen to him, you know. Half, most of the time, they didn't hear what he had to say. They certainly did not listen to him prior to the captivity when he kept warning them over and over to change their ways, or else the captivity was coming. And ultimately, his his message, by the way, to them was to give up. That'd be like me standing up in the halls of Congress and saying, "I got a message for you. Let's go surrender to the Chinese." Let's go surrender to the Russians. You know, that we, I would be characterized a traitor. Yeah. I would be characterized a traitor. And, I, and, and, and honestly, I, you know, I really would be. You know, I'd be, you know, he's collaborating with the enemy. Except in this instance, that was God's message, That's right. you see. Yeah. In this case of Jeremiah, that was God's will, and that was the only way. And so that tells me something very important, that I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful to be an American. But when the Word of God uh, goes contrary to what Americans believe and think, then I need to go with the Word of God. We need to remember that. We're citizens of this country, yes, but more importantly, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we are. Our conversation is in heaven. So that's the background. They have been taken captive. There are, there's a, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of, of Jews who have been taken into Babylon. And Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem. And in chapter 29, God gave him a letter, gave him the words to pen in a letter to those people who had been taken captive. And he begins here in verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem under the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now let, let me stop you right there. Remember the background I said. You know what happened. Babylonians came in under Nebuchadnezzar. They uprooted all of them. They took them over there. The, the, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel, who was one of them, he, they took all the young men, and quite frankly, they, uh, they, they did all kinds of things to them to try to convert them, even changing them physically. They put them into the eunuchs that were there. They, uh, they, they tried to change their, their way of eating, their way of thinking, their way of talking. They, all the things they did, they tried to morph them into good Babylonians. Okay, and to this point, I, so here, think about if you were my age, a 55-year-old Jewish man in that time. If I were there and I were carried captive and I was seeing what was happening and I was a good, faithful uh, believer and one who was trying to do things the way, at least in the tradition of my fathers and all that had been uprooted, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the deliverer. You know, I, the, movies, the movies I like <laughs> are the movies where the hero swoops in at the last minute and saves them. You know, I mean, some of you young folks may like. Yeah, I, I kind of liked it one time. I don't like them as much anymore. The Marvel universe, you know, 
and uh, and 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 the, the Thanoses of the world. I like to see them defeated, you know. And and that's what you know. Marvel's so good at that. And there was and some of these other Star Wars and other, you know, that's the kind of movies I like. You know, I grew up. This dates me, but you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, always the man with the gun who came in and he saved the day. Except when he was the Terminator, he's a bad guy. But anyway, but other than that, you know, I like that where victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat at the last minute, and they're delivered, okay? So if I'm a 55-year-old Jewish man, faithful, you know, because even the faithful were carried captive. Faithful, worshiper, and I'm over in Babylon, I'm seeing what's happening to our folks, and I I know there's a guy named Jeremiah, there's a prophet back over in Israel, and I hear he's got a letter, I'm thinking, man, I I can't wait to see how God is going to punish these Babylonians and get me out of here and get our family back to where we're supposed to be. And so here's the letter. Verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. And I'm listening to him. Here comes. What's the secret potion, the secret formula that's going to get us back? Here's what you do. This is according to the letter. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it for in the peace thereof ye shall have peace Now, at this point, if I'm that 55-year-old Jewish man who is expecting and desiring deliverance, this is pretty anticlimactic. I've hit, wait a what? This this can't be right. Because you see, I have Proverbs, I think it's 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. So I've got visions. I'm 55 years old. Now, I realize some of you older folks are laughing at me when I say I'm getting older. Some of you younger folks are nodding your head and saying, yep, he's old. <laughs> I've got to learn that, you know. So that's right. It's perspective. That's right. It's perspective. But I'm at the age where I have sat down from time to time and assessed my life and thought about the goals that I have set for myself and for my family and the things that I want to get accomplished, and I'm realizing time is running out. Right. Time is running out. I've, You know, hopefully if I live to be... 70 to 80, you know, 75 is a good average, you know, three score and 10, or maybe by reason of strength, it's four score. I'm, I'm getting close to that, you know, I'm, I'm on the downhill slide. We had a gentleman who died in our church at 98, and he was in good health up until about the last year, you know, but even if I live to be 98, I have less time left than I've already lived, you see. And so I'm thinking about the vision that I have and the things that I want to get accomplished and the things that I need to do, and, and including in the service of the Lord. I'm not just talking about secular things that are on my mind like job-wise and career-wise. I'm talking about things in the church that I want to see done, and my vision ends at 75 or 80. That's as far as I can see because I'm pretty sure that that's a pretty good guess of the average lifespan that I'll have. 70, maybe 85 or 90, I don't know, but, but you know, 75 to 80 is what the Bible says. That's kind of the 70 to 80 years old, and I'm beginning, my vision is, is cut off at that point. I cannot see beyond that. Not, not when I sit down and keep a horizontal view of things. Oh, my goodness, 
I'm not getting things done that I need to get done. I don't see how I'm going to get it done. But what I want to preach to you about today is not a 10 or 15 or 20 year view, but a 70 year vision. A 70 year vision. And that 70 year vision is appropriate whether you're 7 or whether you're 70. Because the vision I'm talking about is not our horizontal earthly vision, but it's a vision that includes not just our plans, but the plans of the Lord. It's a vertical vision. Because that's the kind of vision we need in our homes, in our lives, and especially in our churches. This man here, this, this, this letter here that was written to these men like I'm describing, the 50-year-olds and the 60-year-olds and the 40-year-olds and the 80-year-olds who have been carried captive was not a vision for a quick fix. It was not a letter about suddenly, okay, well you do A, B, and C and the Lord's going to fix things. You name it and claim it. You pray hard enough, have enough faith, and the Lord will pick you up uh, by the seat of your pants and plant you back over in Jerusalem. No, that is not what you're seeing here. Now, now let me one caveat. I understand that this was a specific time and a specific set of years, 70 years, that God had purposed for them. And I realize that doesn't apply to us in that very literal sense anymore. But I want to say to you the same principle applies because I don't know about you, I feel like I'm living in Babylon. I feel like I'm living in Babylon. I don't see, you know, if you go, I don't want to get off on that this evening, but if you go to looking at the characteristics of Babylon and the characteristics of the world around us today, you're going to see some very close similarities. You know, Babylon didn't really care if they were Jews worshiping their God. They just wanted to worship their gods too. You know, it was okay to, okay, well, you've got this quaint little Yahweh, Jehovah God over here, but let's go, we've got to incorporate that into the pantheon of gods. And what they did was, is they began to, they realized that the way to do that was to get to the children. The young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, I don't know how old they were, some say 15 to 20 years old, Uh, I'm not sure, maybe 20 or 25, but they took them and they took the best and the brightest and you know what they did? They corrupted them or they tried to, they tried to take them away. What are we finding in our institutions of higher learning today? My children are facing things that I didn't have to face 30 years ago. I can't believe it's all, well, nearly 40 years ago now. Man, time does fly. 40 years ago at the University of Alabama, I was a freshman in 1985, and I began to see things uh, in the homosexual movement, for example, that I had never seen in Gordo, Alabama. But even then, it was nothing like what they're facing today. Right. Whoever dreamed, whoever dreamed that it wouldn't just be a you know, some kind of, I, I never dreamed it would even be just some fringe movement that people would, one, would question whether there are two genders or not. It's not a fringe movement, beloved. It's in the mainstream. It's being not just hinted at and not just given as an option, it's being pushed upon our young folks. And I'm not just picking on that. Every other issue of the day you can think of is being pushed upon our young people, anything ungodly, anything, you know, we're well beyond the time when creationism is even an issue anymore. According to our institutions of higher learning, creationism is just hogwash. It's all over with. The, the battle is lost as far as that's concerned. It's clearly evolution. That's all they teach. Now see, that, that's being beaten into our children's heads. It's being beaten into us by the media. And that's kind of what they were surrounded by there in Babylon. And I don't know about you, I'm ready to get out of Babylon. <laughs> 
I want to go somewhere besides Babylon. They were wanting to leave Babylon. They wanted to get away from the place where all these influences were. And they were saying, it's, it's time. Uh, I'm looking, you know, I can just see them getting ready to read this letter. Say, all right, Jeremiah's got the solution. Well, here's the thing. Jeremiah actually did have the solution because it came from God. And it's the same solution we have today. What is it? Living in Babylon, what do you do? Here's what you do. You build houses. You dwell in them. You plant gardens. You marry. You have children. And you know, the underlying assumption here that's not actually spoken, but that is clearly being promoted here by God is that you do it in a godly way. You do it in a godly way. You know how, listen, there may, I'm not knocking people who protest. You know, that's, People want to print up a sign and go marching down to the Capitol. That's fine. But that's not what I... That, don't, don't say it's coming from God. That's not what God told us to do. God didn't tell us to get out and start a revolution and, and start, uh, you know, storm the Capitol and, and overthrow the government and institute some kind of Christian government. No, He just said, listen, you live your lives the way you know to live your lives. You know, how, you know one of the things about this, fathers, okay, I'm preaching to me. You know, what do we do? What do you mean, Jeremiah? How, do, how are we supposed to go? How are we supposed to deal with this? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema there of the, the, the Jews would repeat daily. Uh, it says, well, let's just start at verse 1. These are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. I know he's talking specifically about the law here. I want to expand that out for us today to talk specifically about this Word of God that includes that law and includes all of the New Testament, the Old Testament writers. This is what we have today. These are the commandments of God. And he says, the reason I'm giving them to you is that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. That doesn't matter whether you're living in Canaan, the promised land, or in Babylon. You follow this. You keep the commandments, you see. Build houses. Marry, get your children. Don't, don't hole up in a cave. You know, I think about those old hermits that they had over there in the early days. Like there was, I can't ever think of the guy's name, but he was a hermit of something over there. He was, he was uh, they called him somewhere in, in the Middle East in the second or third century, and he thought the way to be pious was to withdraw from society and go out into the desert and live out there by yourself where you'd never be tempted, you'd never be dealing with people anymore again. And boy, they thought he was so. He was just. He was. He he achieved sainthood under certain churches' way of thinking, and uh, they thought he was great. I just got this vision, brother Kevin, of of when that when that man died and he walked. You know, I know we say pearly gates, but anyway, he went to heaven. I say it that way. When he went to heaven to the presence of the Lord, I can just see the Lord standing there, tapping his foot with his arms crossed, and saying, "Man, what were you thinking?" I didn't save you for you to go off in the desert and hide it from everybody. I saved you to dwell in the land and to share it with everyone you're around and to teach your children and to teach your, uh, your neighbors and their neighbors' children and to gather together in a church context and to learn about me and to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Amen. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Uh, you know, he goes on over there to say... Uh, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that uh, 
uh, he tells them, you know, hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thy soul with all thy might. And he says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. By the way, you notice how many of those have to do with your home? They have to do with your home. When you sit in your house. Now look, I've got things to do, and I, you do too. I realize travel is necessary sometimes in your job, sometimes in preaching it's necessary. But if you're spending more time away from your family than you are with them, and by the way, fathers, you know when I point one finger out there, i got three pointing back. When you're home, be with them. You know what I mean? Sometimes during my career, earlier in my career, I'd be home, but my mind and heart was somewhere else, you see. He said, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, where's that? In your house. When you rise up, that's in your house. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. The things you do need to reflect the fact that you're a child of God. They shall be as frontness between thine eyes. What you look at ought to reflect the fact that you're a child of God. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates, even if you live in Babylon. I will say it even this way. Especially if you're living in battle. Yeah. You know, I, I heard Brother Adam Green was at Five Mile yesterday morning, and he asked this question, and I, amen, didn't realize what he was getting at, and I was wrong. <laughs> he said, how do you feel? He said, don't you think the standard in the church ought to be greater than the standards of the world? I said, amen, yeah, that's right. He said, no, that's not the case. We don't compare ourselves to the world. Because think about this, from the 1950s till now, what's the standard of the world done? It's gone down like that. If our standard is linked to the world's standards, here goes ours down too. You see, our standard is the Word of God. We don't compare ourselves among ourselves. That's not wise. And he's saying here, he, he said that as things get worse and worse, children of God ought to look weirder and weirder to the world. <laughs> Good point, right? You know, not getting weirder. We just, you know, they think we're weird already. You know, peculiar people. Amen. <laughs> They're peculiar. But, uh, but the point is, is that as the world standard goes down and our stays here, there's a greater and greater gap, you see. Right. Yeah, right. Amen. Jeremiah said, live your lives as children of God in this place because that's what God requires of you. And seek the peace of the city. Well, that just I don't want to go too much into that. You know, we ought to be... I, am, I personally am not happy with the direction I see our country going in, okay? And, and I can point you to people in power that I could excoriate because I totally disagree with them and I think they're just doing the complete wrong thing. And that's generally what a lot of people like to do. Some of you know I'm involved in uh, politics in Alabama and a lot of times when I go to the, the party meetings, that's the biggest thing they want to talk about is the other party, you know? and the things they're doing wrong. Well, there's a place to point out wrong. I'm not saying there's not a place to point out wrong, but you know what God says we should be doing to those in charge? We should be praying for them. We should be praying for them that the Lord will convert them and bring them over to the right way of thinking and pray for the peace of this country, not because America is the greatest country on the face of the earth, even though I believe she has been, but because America is, has been a haven for the church. Yes. 
Now, you know why I believe God's blessed us so much? Not because we're so much smarter and so much more vigorous in our undertakings, but because we've been a haven for the church. We've been a place where the church could thrive and the religious liberties are, taken, are, are, are protected. But even if they're not, what do we do? We live our lives in a godly manner. We teach our children. We protect them as best we can from the things of the world. And even doing that, you understand they can be led astray. Hilkiah was a high priest. And he, had, he was the father of Jeremiah, who we know we're reading about here. He was the father of a man named Azariah, who became high priest. And he was the father of another child whose name escapes me now. But he, those two stayed faithful. The other one compromised with the Babylonians and with, with, the, with the world. But he did teach them. By the way, his great-grandson was Ezra, Ezra the scribe. So, by the way, you can, you can protect and teach your children. Yeah. So, Jeremiah says, take wives. And, 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 and remember, our thought this evening is a 70-year vision. So think about the reaction now as we kind of try to bring this to a close. I'm 55 years old. I'm in Babylon. I've just been told that we're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. My first reaction is, I'm not going to live 70 years. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to be dead in the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years at best. At best, I'll see half of that. What, 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 is, what, am, what are you saying, Jeremiah? What am I what Jeremiah is saying, what God is telling Jeremiah is, listen to me. He says, your vision has to be for more than just your lifetime. Right. And the decisions you are making today in your lives are going to affect those who come after you even after you are gone. Right. So you need to be concerned not with the outcome and not with the ultimate deliverance, but with the daily task of serving the Lord. You need to be concerned with not, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to our church in 25 or 30 years. You need to be concerned with what's, what am I going to do to, to promote my church and to serve in the kingdom next Sunday, tomorrow? What am I going to do this week? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do in my family, in the life of my family, uh, to try to protect them and to point them in the right direction, knowing they still could be led astray, but at least I've laid the foundation for them and discharged my duty. What am I going to do? See, that's, that's the idea that Jeremiah is promoting here. And, and so he goes on. I just want to say, uh, just, just to get the context, we skip down to verse 10. He said, For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years is accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Now I believe, I know that's specifically talking about a 70-year period in Babylon, but you know I believe that the Lord does that for us today. Not on necessarily a 70-year timeline, but have you ever noticed where there are times when the church seems to be waxing and there's times when it seems to be waning? Right. But those who remain faithful and try to, uh, try to promote the old Baptist, the, the kingdom of God, try to stay faithful to the church, ultimately you, you see those blessings. Sometimes they're greater, sometimes they're lesser, but God comes back to bless His people. And I believe that's what He's teaching us here as well. I want to, in the time we, like I said, I don't want to belabor it here because it's an afternoon service, but I want to, I want to share two stories with you. You say, preacher, is there anything in the scripture besides this letter? By the way, verse 11, I know the thoughts I think toward you. This is God's, this is God's, uh, this is what he's thinking about us. 
He said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected, that word expected means hope-filled, an expected or hope-filled end. You know, those that sit back and say, well, the Lord just, if the Lord wants us to die, we'll die as a church. If the Lord wants us to grow, we'll grow as a church. You know, I'm not, I know you aren't absoluters, and I'm not, but that's practical absolutism. The Lord expects us to occupy, to occupy until He comes. And that means we don't just sit back and let things happen. We are working in the kingdom of God. Let me share, let me share a story with you about the practical effects of this. A bad one first. Back over in 2, King, or 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we read about a man named Uzziah. You say, preacher, how does this work? How can my decisions today affect people that I don't even know yet, that haven't even been born yet, my sons and my sons' sons and their sons? There was a man named Uzziah who became king when he was 16 years old, king of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom there that we're talking about. And we're told in verse 4 of chapter 26 that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding and the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. That's a statement that I could preach on for the rest of the afternoon. But understand that this man, Uzziah, was doing right. And as long as he did right, he was blessed. But there came a time. There came a time over in verse 16 that when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction and we're told that he went in to burn incense into the, in the temple of God which pertained only to the priests to do and they withstood him and ultimately what happened was it says that while he was wroth with the priest, verse 19, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And we're told in verse 21 that Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And by the way, this is the same Uzziah that we read about in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah was a prophet in that day. So look what happened here. Let's just let's put it in some modern terms. Granddaddy Uzziah made a terrible decision. He, he made, instead of being, instead of dwelling in the kingdom, in his place, doing what God told him to do, he decided to be lifted up in pride and deal with his fellows in a different way and to try to do things he was not supposed to do, to try to bring different things into the kingdom of God than God said to put there. And he had problems. We would say today he had church problems. Granddaddy had church problems. What happened to, to daddy? Well, Jotham, we're told, in first chapter 27, was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. That's his son, Jotham. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and told his mother's name. And verse 2 says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah did, but howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corrupt So let's see what we got here. We got granddaddy had church problems. Daddy didn't go to church. Daddy never set foot in the temple, right? Daddy never set foot in the temple. He's a pretty good guy. Did, a good, did some good things, did some things that pleased the Lord, but he didn't go to church. He didn't come to church. He didn't bring his children to church. Chapter 28, Ahaz. You probably recognize that name. Ahaz, grandson. 
was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, made molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire. In other words, he sacrificed his own children. Now think about what's happened here. You say, what I do doesn't affect my children and my grandchildren. Maybe my children, but not my grandchildren and their children. Listen, what Uzziah did, granddaddy had church problems. Granddaddy had a problem in church. That happened in my family, by the way. My great-grandfather, uh, who was a pastor at Zion, had problems. Got in, a, got in a fist fight with his brother in the parking lot. That's another story I won't get into. But he, uh, but uh, So my granddaddy didn't go to church. He didn't take his children to church. Praise God, we were blessed. My dad did, but, uh, but, my, but, but, but that's, this happened. So you got granddaddy that had church problems, and so son didn't go to church, so grandson is a complete heathen, is going off and doing all these things that pagans do. Amen. You know who else it affected? It affected great-grandchild. That great-grandson that he passed through the fire. You see, what granddaddy did affects others down here. That's what Jeremiah's saying. Right now, right here, you do what you are supposed to do that you know God wants you to do. You live in Babylon. You dwell in Babylon. You keep the law. It's hard. It's not easy. It's tough. But you dwell there. You occupy until the time comes. I want to close with another story. This is a story that I know about, that I have experienced. I told you I'm not trying to preach my experience, but I want to share this with you. Because this is about a, not a 70-year vision, but a 175-year vision. On May 15th of 1847, the church I pastor, Zion Primitive Baptist Church near Gordo, Alabama, was constituted by seven charter members. They came from different churches. One of them was already a Primitive Baptist, but they joined together. It was not a big church, not a big congregation. Two preachers came to form the Presbytery to help constitute that church. The moderator of the Presbytery was a fairly well-known Primitive Baptist preacher in our area named Elder Andrew Jackson Coleman. Brother Coleman was, uh, as I said, he was, in, he was already in his 40s, I think, maybe his 50s by then. He served in the state <coughs> legislature, actually, for a little while. And uh, very well known. But you know, in those days, he lived about 25 or 30 miles away. And he helped constitute several churches in our area. It wasn't easy. You know, I, I, I got in my car and I drove five hours, and I thought that was a big deal, you know, Friday. But it really wasn't that big a deal. I had a nice road to go on. It didn't take me long. I left, I drove, you know, 200 and something miles in five hours. He had to get up, probably go down the day before, riding in a horse and wagon of some sort, maybe a mule pulling a wagon. Go, it was an all-day trip. And it gets hot, as you know, in May. I don't know what the weather was like. But I could just see this dear brother getting up the morning that he had to leave and thinking, is it really worth it? I hear there's only seven people. I hear there's a, it's going to be a real small bunch of folks. I don't even know, you know, I can just see all the doubts coming in his mind. What's, what's really the point, you know? Uh, maybe he'd help constitute some churches that had already, already quit meeting. I don't know. I don't know what the circumstances were, but I can see that dear brother as he gets up that morning and he 
and he, you know, has to put on suits. You know, it's nice to have the air conditioning in here. This suit's pretty, you know, still pretty hot, but the suits they wore back then, you know, I know they were broad cloth, they were thick. It just wasn't an easy experience. It wasn't necessarily a pleasant thing to get up and go. But he got up and he came. He came on down. I don't know what it was like that day. Like I said, I don't know how hot it was. I don't know how many people were in the congregation. Maybe it was just the seven, him and the other preacher in the seven. Maybe it was probably some others. They're probably, you know, I would estimate 20 or 30 maybe. And, and I don't know if he just, you know, sometimes I find, I'm, I'm somewhat preaching my own experience. Sometimes I find myself going through the motions, you know, just kind of, oh, okay, you know, somewhat taken for granted that this is church, you know. But that dear brother, Whatever his problems, whatever he, however he felt, whether he felt good or bad that day, didn't matter how hard it was, he came on. He made a decision 175 years ago on May 15, 1847, to come design community and to constitute those seven people in Design Primitive Baptist Church. And then he lived the rest of his life, had a good life from what I can tell, and he died sometime in the early 1900s. On the last Sunday in December of 2021, this year, we had a couple join our church that was, had lived in the community. Now, the wife, the husband, had been in our community for, for a long time. He grew up there. In fact, some of his great-grand... You know, my great-grandparents were members of Zion Church. I had a strong family connection to this church. His great-grandparents were members of that church. It was, it was pretty neat that this dear brother comes down and joins with his wife and he had such a strong connection to that church. And I was, you know, praise God, he's come home. And, and Sister Katie, who is his wife, you know, she was from, as my grandmother say, well, she was from off, you know, she was from off. If you went from Gordo, you were from off. He married that girl from off. She married that boy from off. She, was, she had grown up about an hour and a half away and uh, no connection possibly could be designed church. About three weeks after she joined, after I baptized her, she sent me an email. She said, Brother Chris, I just am so excited to find out through some genealogical research that I had a primitive Baptist preacher in my genealogy. My great-great-great-grandfather was Elder Andrew Jackson Coleman, the man who helped constitute the church in 1847. I thought about that dear brother so many times since then. I don't know how he felt that day. I don't know whether he thought he was doing anything that was ever going to be worth anything or not. But I know this, because he had a 175-year vision. His great-great-great-granddaughter found a home to light her foot in here in 2022. Oh, praise God. Can we have a 70-year vision or a 170-year vision? I believe that's what the Lord wants us to have. Things may not be... It may be humdrum. It may be so-so. It may be just hard to get up some mornings. It may be hard to keep going. You may see things going on. You may see the church declining. You know, our church got down to one member. It nearly died. It got down to one member for several years. Praise God the Lord has blessed us to come back. I thought it was dead. We all thought it was dead. But praise God that a man in 1847 was faithful and continued to do what he needed to do, kept on keeping on, and he did what he needed to do to serve the Lord so that eventually not just me and all the others would benefit from the faithfulness of that dear brother and the, and the grace of God, but his own great-great-great-granddaughter. His sons, 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 and so forth 
benefited. Beloved, if we can keep that in mind, the 70 year vision, I think that'll help us every day as we struggle to live in Babylon. I appreciate your kind attention.